Hello and welcome back to another episode of That's What People Do. As always, I am James and I'm joined by Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hello, hello. How are, how are you? How's everyone? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Um, how are you? Yes, very good, very good. I'm now back to Have work. Have I asked that twice? I don't know. No, uh, I don't know. Oh, well, we'll carry Continue. on. Continue. I'm now back to work, which means my feet hurt and I'm a wee bit tired. And mm. uh, we have to point out to everyone now, over the last year, you've had, bar like, you know, the odd exception, nice uh, consecutive uh, content. Like, every Friday, mm-hmm. content goes out, right? Yeah. <laughs> which has been great, because James and I have been off and we've been able to figure it out. However, mm-hmm. going forward... That may not happen as often because we're now both back at work and our, t- our schedules just don't align hardly ever. No, they conflict. V- yeah, m- very much so. So episodes may go out a day after or even like, you know, a couple of days after on the Fridays. Mm-hmm. So just hang tight, bear with us. Episodes are still coming on a weekly basis, but they're just not going to be maybe every yeah. on every Friday. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it, with work? Because obviously I'm off work today, you're working a little bit later. Um, and if sometimes start, I'll finish work, but then you'll be working into the evening. So you're free in the mornings, I'm free in the evening. It's just it's a nightmare. It is a nightmare. So yeah, uh, bear with us. Um, but yeah, thanks for sticking around. Um, also, before we crack on, um, I've mm. decided to do this at the beginning of the episode and not at the end, because I know that people stop listening. Uh, if you can... <laughs> Make sure you follow us on all the social media so you can get pictures of uh, our people that we talk about. Uh, if you'd like to donate to the show, you can do that on our Ko-fi page. You can find a link on our link tree. Uh, or if you want to, just head to www.ko-fi.com forward slash that's what people do. Uh, if you follow us on Apple Podcasts, uh, please leave us a review, a five star, anything like that. Uh, or if you follow us on Spotify, please do uh, follow the podcast uh, and i will leave it there <laughs> got you you bastards can't turn off before the end you now can't so... turn off at the beginning <laughs> <laughs> um i do have another disclaimer to make before in fact i've got a couple but this one's unrelated to the episode when i was editing the last episode which i believe was Karl marx i realized as i speak usually when i rant i swear a lot and it even became jarring for me to listen to there was a lot of <laughs> there was a lot of fucking so i'm i'm gonna make a conscious effort to not fuck. <laughs> You're That's only... something I've got to work on in myself. Everyone else ums, they do like ums and pauses. I, for some reason, my ums turn into swears, which is bad. So I will be making an effort to, to stop that. It's usually when I rant, and Karl Marx was a big one because politics and what have you. Yeah, but just there a pa- we go. Just a passionate person. Yeah, just know I'm, I'm trying to change. I'm on the right path. Okay. <laughs> Let's get on with the episode. Today, we're going to be talking about Harold Shipman, Britain's biggest ever serial killer. In fact, probably the world's biggest ever serial killer. However, another disclaimer, if you're here thinking, oh, serial killer, we're going to talk about guts and people getting decapitated and all this kind of horrible stuff that we've come to know and love with all the other serial killers. Unfortunately, you're barking at the wrong tree here. He is a serial killer, but as we discussed beforehand, he might be the most boring serial killer of all time. However, that doesn't mean the episode's going to be boring. It just means that he didn't really get his hands dirty, if you know what I mean. But he still killed hundreds, if not thousands of people. Yeah, this guy is the saddest motherfucker in the world. <laughs> he just The way he goes about things is just, he's a fucking dickhead. <laughs> and his nickname is Dr. Death, which probably gives you a little bit of a clue as to how he 
killed his poor, unsuspecting victims. Mm. So, born on January 14th, 1946 in Nottingham in England into a middle-class family. He was a pretty bright boy, but this kind of petered off towards his secondary school ages where he became a little bit average. And as most of these stories begin, uh, his mother was quite domineering. So straight away, oh, parent issues. Uh, and Harold was her favourite child. And this would have a knock-on effect into his later life when he became fairly isolated because she took away the ability to socialise for him. However, what differs Shipman from a lot of the other killers we've focused on over the years, although his mother was dominating, it wasn't an abusive childhood. So obviously we've talked about, uh, I don't know, pick some, uh, I was about to say Marilyn Manson, that's someone completely different. Charles, Charles Manson. Yeah. That's the one. And just various other serial killers. Usually their parents have beat them or done something to them. Not really the case here. I mean, Manson. If anything. Manson got sold for said. a jar of beer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then is... got given back. So his mother got beer and the kid. It's as good as when Vicky Pollard swapped her baby for a Westlife CD. <laughs> You've got to do what you got to do sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So if anything, he had an incredibly average childhood that the majority of us would have experienced. Like, there's nothing interesting about it apart from the fact that his social life was a bit stunted mm. uh, so this is an interesting case not ongoing debate of are people born evil or do they develop it because of their circumstances in life i know we, we that debate rages on so let's find out shipman's mother was diagnosed with lung cancer and it was terminal and harold found all of the treatment incredibly interesting and watched over his mother with care and took particular interest in the morphine that was being administered to his mother and she passed away in 1963 this spurred harold on to go to medical school so he could learn about the ways of medicine after failing his first medical exam he was accepted into leeds university medical school and he was still very much a loner at this point due to his upbringing because during his childhood his mother would decide who he could and couldn't hang out with and he was always very smartly dressed and always had a very like arrogant air about him like he looked down on other people oh, yeah. and due to the lack of social interaction as a boy he really struggled socially as a grown-up and now his mother wasn't there to tell him who he couldn't couldn't hang out with poor parenting yeah yeah also uh, shout out to leeds university whose standards are absolutely terrible <laughs> to be fair they did fail him the first time and then just let him in the second time yeah uh, no one's enrolled on the course and we need that government money so just want to let him in yeah yeah this future serial killer who's just very underwhelming yeah we're gonna teach him everything he needs to know so that he can kill people i mean you don't even need to go to medical school for that but then i shouldn't be encouraging serial killers so during his time at medical school he was fairly invisible years later when his fellow students rushed about him they could barely remember him he seemed to blend into the background of most of the stories and those that do remember him say he seemed he seemed friendly enough but didn't really get involved and perhaps the like felt as though he was constantly judging them. If ever they'd make a joke, he'd just smile at them and never get involved. Oh, like he can... It's almost like he's a computer, like he's processing it. He's like, oh, I understand this is supposed to be a joke. So he smiles and then walks away. Yeah, it's just very socially backwards. Yeah. Which is fascinating as we get further into how he got away with committing what he did. It's like socialising was such a huge aspect of it. Oh, really? It... it, it proper fucking u-turn i've done it oh there's number one <laughs> I, I said i was trying everyone drink <laughs> yeah every, christ everyone will be on the floor <laughs> harold despite being a quiet man was a very good athlete 
It's said when he was playing football, his mannerisms would change and he'd become a much more outgoing character desperate to win. And at the age of 19, he met his future wife, Primrose, and they got married fairly quickly when she was 17 and five months pregnant. And Primrose had had a similar upbringing. She was very sheltered, not developed socially. And she was just really happy about having a boyfriend and a family plan uh-huh. and just basically getting that as part of her life going. And I didn't put this in my notes, but I'm going to say it. I think it's kind of unfair. She, how do I put this politely? Everyone's beautiful on the inside, but she wasn't the biggest looker. So she was like, she. I don't think she'd ever had a boyfriend before. Oh, okay. Is it like, um, you know, you see like in prom films, that girl who's got that massive brace on her face, the whole head fucking mm. thing. She's in a little pink dress. No one wants to dance with her. And then like some jock just takes pity on her. It's like, do you want to dance? And then her whole world just mm. like gets better <laughs> like that. Yeah, exactly. So this is probably why she rushed into things like being 17 and five months pregnant. Obviously, this is like when was it the 60s Ooh. early 70s so it, it'd be a bit frowned upon at this point yeah yeah it's just that's uh that's, that's on the that's on the line but then also getting married early is a fairly common thing back then yeah which is why tangent when how i'm we're both me and ryan are both mid coming to late 20s <laughs> shut up and we find that even nowadays our life like it's strange isn't it thinking about my parents were at my age, married two kids a few years prior. Yeah. And, like, getting jobs was so easy. Everything just happened a lot quicker, which is what something that annoys me about the generation that raised us is that they expect us to have the same, but the world just doesn't work like that anymore. No, the world has changed. Massively. My parents, every now and then, will sit me down and be like, so when you get married, when are we having grandkids? I'm like, can you leave me? I, I don't know. <laughs> you need to leave me alone. Yeah. I can't look after myself. <laughs> Yeah. I'm not lonely out of choice. Mum, I had Cocoa Pops for dinner. Do you think I'm going to get married tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then I have some friends as well who have, um, they've bought a house, they've settled down with the kids. People's lives move at different paces. So when like they're telling me about their what their son's been up to today, I'm just sitting in my bed eating a pot noodle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or be like, oh, my, my KD has got, my KD streak on court has got really good recently. And it's yeah. like, oh, my daughter's just learned to walk. Okay. <laughs> cool. That's your daughter's achievement. What's yours? <laughs> yeah. Well, I can fucking walk. That's not an achievement. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think this is just a, a note to anyone that might think their life isn't going as fast as they want it to. It's fine. Everyone's life moves at different paces. Well, I, I, I recently learned that when my grandparents met, um, they were engaged to be married within six months. and um, That's crazy. With, uh, my grandparents, they on I think it must have been on like a, a Friday. By the Monday, my granddad had asked my nan to move to Australia with him. And she was like, Bloody oh, hell. this is all going a bit too quick. And basically he went, because he had a ticket back then, uh, I think it was in like the, the 50s, late 50s, you could just buy a ticket to get on a ship to go to Australia and relocate. Um, mm, and he yeah. had a ticket and he was going to relocate because he was a, a car sprayer. So that was like apparently a job that they had on their list as like things that they wanted people to emigrate over and do. And he had a ticket ready to go. He was all packed up and that. And then he met my nan and was like, do you want to come with me? I'll be your sponsor. And she was like, that's a bit too soon. And he went, all right, I'll, I'll sack it off then. So he did. And then six months later, they got married. Wow. I mean, it's a cool story. It's lovely. Bit quick though, granddad. 
It is extremely quick, but I suppose things just move faster back then. It, nowadays, things don't move at that pace at oh, all. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, by the time you're 25, you're middle-aged at that, in that sort of time. A good friend of mine recently, we were out walking, and she's 23, I'm 25. I don't think she knew I was 25. Huh. And she beg- she proceeded to tell me that if you're 25, and we both work together, and working in the place where we work, your life is basically over. So that was a nice little wake-up call for me. So, Senekin? She basically said as soon as you get... I think she was joking, but she said when you get to 25, your life's basically <laughs> over. And me being a 25-year-old man, I'm just standing there like, yeah, well, this is it then. I'm 28 soon, so that's not good. No, your life ended a while ago. <laughs> yeah, I need a midlife crisis. Have you had a quarter-life crisis yet? I'm currently in the midst of mine. Oh, I've def- yeah, I've definitely had one, yeah. Yeah, What what was it? Uh, depression, mental health issues, probably. <laughs> oh, right, you didn't buy anything. Okay, mine's collecting football shirts. That's a little bit different. Yes, yours is. Mine was probably starting a podcast, to be fair. Oh, fair. Well, I'm glad I can be part of that. <laughs> You're part of my experiment. For your midlife crisis, it'll be like starting a, a TV show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where was I? Oh, yeah, serial killers. By 1974, he was the father of two and he joined a medical practice in the town of Todd Morden in Yorkshire. Despite his inability to show words, in his inability to socialise during his youthful years, he quickly became a loved character within the community as their trusted GP. If you're from abroad and you don't know what a GP is, it's general practitioner, it basically means you're a doctor. However, those that worked with him saw a very different side to him. He would be very standoffish with his colleagues and would be extremely arrogant and refer to people as stupid if he didn't like them. He seemed hell-bent on belittling those around him, including the other GPs he worked with who were far more experienced. He quickly became a control freak. So this is where the two sides of him really come out. People that worked with him saw the true side to him and the townsfolk thought he was just this lovely GP. Because back in those days as well, uh, you could choose your doctor. Nowadays, you kind of just get given one when you go to your your practice. But uh. you could you could opt to see a certain doctor. So he knew that if he was nice to people, they'd come and see him, which is what happened. Uh, that makes sense. That makes sense, yeah. And uh, yeah, his whole thing of being a doctor, he might not be able to control his world around him, but he can control mm. the lives of people in his hands. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever been to like, another tangent? Have you ever been to a doctor and just not trusted their diagnosis or what they've said? Yes, my current doctor. <laughs> oh, really? So my current doctor, uh, my current surgery. There are two doctors that are like the the GPs of the surgery, um, mm. and there's one of them that everyone in my family, whenever we have to go to the doctors, they're like, "Please don't be him. Please don't be him. We want the other one." Mm. because this this one guy is just a bit of a knob he's sarcastic he's almost like house you know the M- md house yeah he's like that yep. and and at one point i remember being in there and uh everyone does this they always go oh um could it be this or like you know um because of that could it yeah. not be this and then he he went oh are you the doctor all right oh, what a prick all right wow calm down Fucking hell. And the other one, he's so lovely. He's so nice. Every time I've been there about my mental health issues, like he's the nicest bloke in the world. Honestly, yeah. I trust him with anything. Yeah. Some doctors are just dickheads. There's one um, at mine who I, I haven't, I mean, I don't go to the doctors very often. I kind of, one of these people, if I get ill, I either die or get better. Yeah. But if I do have to go, she like I know who I want because she is lovely and she'll sit there and listen. 
I don't think I've ever had a bad one. I've not trusted some diagnosis before. Mm. Like, yeah. But you've got to trust them, haven't you? But then you hear these horror stories of people having cancer symptoms and things like this that doctors just completely miss. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, you know, especially if you go to the doctors, they, they haven't got a CT scan or mammogram machines or anything like that. No. They're just You just tell them the symptoms and they have to kind of, like, like WebMD, you just kind of come up with something based on what mm. you've told them. And it's like, I'm not a doctor. I don't actually know. I'm just telling you my symptoms. Like, I don't really know. Mm. They've got to come up with something based it's... on something that an idiot's told them. <laughs> tough job for them. There's no disrespect to them. but Yeah, it's proper tough. A loved member of his community, Harold's life seemed to be going very swimmingly. This was until he started having blackouts, which naturally got in the way of his practice. He self-diagnosed himself as epileptic, but this was quickly ruled out. Receptionist Marjorie Walker, whilst looking through some ledgers, discovered that the record showed Shipman had been prescribing large and frequent amounts of pethidine in the names of several patients. And this is like a morphine-like drug. Mm. And it's still really debated nowadays whether it's addictive or not. Okay. Um, probably is, I guess. I don't know. I suppose if you like the feeling of morphine, anything's addictive. Well, morphine's an opiate, isn't it? And opiates are considered to be addictive. I fucking love morphine. I've never had it. Have you not? It's honestly phenomenal. When I dislocated my elbow, I just kept telling them that it had worn off when it hadn't. (laughs) Yeah, madness. I wouldn't mind trying it one day. It's really, really nice. Anyway, (laughs) but this isn't encouraging you to go out and get morphine. Don't have morphine unless you're there with a doctor or someone there's a there's a there's another maybe there's another harold shipman listening to this show thinking what can i do what could i do and you're like morphine's brilliant and he's like okay (laughs) deal morphine and the amounts that were being withdrawn were extremely excessive and when an investigation was done into the quantities of the drugs being released the practice became aware that some of the patients whose names had been on the prescriptions hadn't received the drug at all yeah He was quickly confronted and realised his career was on the line. He started begging for another chance, but was denied. When he realised all hope was lost, he he became enraged and violent, throwing things around the room and threatening to resign before storming out. His wife Primrose stormed in shortly after and said that he would never resign and they'd have to force him out. And that's exactly what they did. He was admitted to a drug rehab centre in 1975 and he received a £600 fine. And that's all he had to do. It's quite a lot. Yeah, £600 in those days, I think, was a fair bit. Yeah. Uh, you'd think that he would have learned from all this, but instead this was just the start of the most prolific serial killer on record. The debate rages on at the moment whether he was injecting the drugs into himself or whether he'd already started something a lot more sinister. Mm. Somehow, after a couple of years, he managed to get himself another job at a practice in Hyde. He was extremely confident when he walked in and just came clean about his wrongdoings and said his stint in rehab had helped him turn a corner and he now all that needed to happen was them for, to watch him and just see how good he was. And that somehow worked. They were like, yeah, cool. No worries. Come on in. So he was a master manipulator and knew how to hide his true colours around those he wished to impress and became a much-loved member of his community. He had no more blackouts and no more drugs went missing. So everyone thought, this bloke's cool. He's all clear. Yeah. Yeah, and also his appearance, like, he looks absolutely harmless. Oh, yeah, if ever you can like, Google a picture of him, he just, 
He just he, he probably looks like an old teacher you have. He's just a, an an old man with a beard. He just looks friendly. Yeah, like he, he like he teaches you science, but he can't actually control the class. Yeah, yeah. But instead, he was a horrific human being. <laughs> there are some pictures of him though when he's doing crazy eyes, like it, it, you know when you can see serial killers' eyes, like oh, there's something going on there. Oh, yeah, there's nothing behind them. Yeah. There are a couple of pictures of that. They'll be Shipman was a master manipulator. Sorry, carry on. No, I was just going to say, they'll be up on the socials, so uh, make sure you're checking out the socials if you want to oh, see yeah. them. Keep plugging those socials. Yeah, yeah. To get a number of his victims is pretty much impossible. Uh, it's thought the number sits around 250, but some argue it could be above 1,000. It's just it's impossible to know. Mm. In Hyde, Harold felt free to kill, especially because the community trusted him so much, and he eventually set up his own practice so he was free to do what he liked. If you look at the records of his patients, it becomes very clear the deaths of elderly people, especially elderly women, were abnormally high. The times of death became clustered at specific times of the day, and the records and causes of death were extremely mismatched, like they'd been tampered with. Mm. And what's more... Dr. Shipman was pretty much always in attendance when a death occurred. That's a bit suspicious. This is the thing. This, everyone nowadays looks back and goes like, how the fuck did this bloke get away with this for so long? But Because pe- people were dying in their masses and they were all his patients and he was always there. Yeah, but see, he's like, He's he's a kind, friendly doctor that we all know. Like, oh, he's a kind, nice dude. Like, he, he wouldn't hurt a fly as far as we're concerned. Um, but he's... Like, oh, they're all, like, elderly women that are dying. And you wouldn't question it. you just go, mm. well, it happens, doesn't it? And I imagine that's what he's saying as well. He's like, oh, the hardest bit about my job is just, it's just losing so many people. You know, oh, it's hard. And you just imagine would feel sympathy for him as well. It'd be like, oh, it sucks that you have to see so much death all the time. And he's like, yeah, old people die. If it was... Old people do die. If it was, like, people under 40 dropping like flies, then you'd be going, right, something's fishy here. But if they're, like, six, late 60s, 70s, if even older, you, you kind of just assume, like, well, old people just die. That's kind of... You never question it, do you? You just assume it's old age. Yeah. I think this is probably why he went for it as well, because he knew that there was a a good chance that he could get away with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's mad. There's, well, there's one lad at my work who would have spotted Harold Shipman in an instant. And do you want to know why? This lad is 17 why? years old and he swears blind that people do not die of old age. Explain. Yeah, exactly, right? Uh, you have to try and get him to explain. And he, he's not very good at it either. The way he sees it, people do not die of old age. They die of issues other than old age like it's something he's saying oh uh, they don't die of old age they get a heart attack or something it's like yeah brought on by old age (laughs) and he can't understand the concept that old age is something that can kill you because it's it slows your body down your body stops doing stuff when it gets old and he can't seem to grasp that concept so he's, he's adamant that people don't die of old age what the fuck i know this boy is He's, this boy is uh, in a world of his own. That's baffling. Yeah. Um, I don't really know how to respond to that. <laughs> no, exactly. 
Eventually, you do get to the point, though, that humans and our, like, shell, like, the bodies we have aren't supposed to live forever, so... Well, so, there's a thing, and we're, we're going to talk about it in a, another project coming in, in the future, right? But in terms of living forever, you're, there are people who's, like... Say, take, um, recently uh, passed away, uh, Sir Captain Tom Moore, the uh, centenary bloke who walked and made a load of money for the NHS during the COVID pandemic, right? Uh-huh. He his mind, as far as you can understand him, seems to be younger than his body. So like he's a hundred years old and he's sat in his chair and he's really struggling to walk. But when you hear him talk, like he's relatively cognitive, like he's got he can string sentences together really well, he's joking, he's got a sense of humour, he's like, so it's almost like his mind is not ready to go, but his body can't keep up with it. Whereas if you give him like a synthetic body that was younger, who's to say he couldn't go on for longer? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm. I mean, I'm no scientist. I don't know. I am not a scientist either, and I. I'm certain. <laughs> well, there you go. You heard it here, right? With Ryan first. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 very odd, but yeah, old people generally won't be missed because well, th- that's a horrible thing to say. They will be missed, but th- there'll be no suspicions as to to why they died. No, because old people do die shame oh this is horrible i'm trying to say this in such a nice way but i just can't that shame was really sarcastic but it is a shame you can't you can't sugarcoat it old people die if you can't get if you cannot grasp the idea that old people die and that upsets you you need to grow up i think some people do uh, really struggle with the the prospect of death it is it's a baffling thing to do and have you ever just sat there and just really deeply considered that one day you won't exist anymore? It's a really, yeah. it's a, it's a really bizarre thought process. It's my biggest fear, James, and I don't want to talk about it. Exactly. Yes. That's fair. I mean, it is pretty yeah. scary. I, 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 I mean, I don't give a shit either way. I don't know why. I'm just, I'm okay with. I think I'm okay with the logic of it, and if I'm okay with the logic of something, I just, it's okay. Nah, I, I can't do it. I just think if I, the one I'd be really pissed off if I was like some if it was I died early you know like too young if I was just getting going. Yeah, that's what bothers me. Hey, you can't let it you can't let it get to you. You've got to live your life <laughs> and see what happens. Just live like Dargenes did. Yeah, exactly. Be more dog. Be more dog. Years later. People have hired a... St- I've missed a paragraph. I do apologise. I'm all over the place. He would kill his victims with an injection of diamorphine, which is medical heroin. So naturally, an overdose of that would leave someone in an already pretty vulnerable elderly state with no chance of survival. Mm. Particularly because, and we'll get onto this later, he made no fucking effort to revive them. Really? Years later, people of Hyde are still reeling with the feeling of, I could have been the next victim. And perhaps they could have been, if it wasn't for Angela Woodruff. Her mother was a woman named Catherine Grundy, who was said to be Shipman's final victim. And what's really striking about the case of Catherine Grundy is her will. You would have thought that Shipman would have learnt his lesson about forging documents when he was caught before. But alas, he did not. In her will, she left her entire estate to her doctor, Harold Shipman, and then died under Shipman's usual circumstances. This is where he really fucked. Why would you do this, you fucking moron? Who leaves Angela- your entire will and estate to a doctor? Yeah, who is in attendance when you die. It just... <laughs> mm, 
Mm, come on now. That's so weird. Yeah, how daft. Just do what the rest of us plan to do and just marry an elderly widow. Yeah. Oh, if only. Angela Woodruff found these incredibly suspicious, as you would do, and inevitably this was the downfall of Harold Shipman. In the court case, this, amongst others, would be the thing that would put him behind bars. What makes this even sadder is the complete trust the elderly people had in their doctor. A local undertaker, Alan Macy, became suspicious of Harold because there was a running theme in the bodies of his victims. They were usually always fully dressed and had no signs of imminent death from illness. Usually the victims were dressed very smartly as though they'd dressed up for the occasion of Harold coming round to see them because I imagine most of them were quite lonely so they thought having someone coming round is an occasion which breaks my heart because old people being lonely just is the saddest fucking thing. I've done it again but it's warranted here. Their last words were probably along the lines of thank you doctor completely unaware that he had just uninjected them with a lethal dose of morphine. Which is a bit heartbreaking. Yeah, but it's not a bad way to go, I suppose. Um, I've, I don't know. I suppose maybe it could be quite uncomfortable. What, um, to go with morphine? Yeah, it, it takes a few hours. Does it? Uh, imagine, but if it's, if it's enough, do you not just fall asleep? Oh, well, uh, yeah, probably. You know, you know when you see in like, war films, um, uh, they, they just like, give them a shitload of fucking morphine. Yeah, Is yeah, it in Saving like... Private Ryan? Yeah, they're just going around jabbing people with morphine. Yeah, in Saving Private Ryan, like one of them's just like they're in, they're, they're dying and they're in a lot of pain. So they just give you a fuckload of morphine and they just sit there and they just relax and you're like, oh, okay, cool. And then they just go off nice and peacefully. I I hope it's like that. I don't want these old elderly people to just like being very uncomfortable as their bodies just sort of shutting down. Yeah. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Mm. Yeah, but this all stems back to his mother, wasn't it? Because he was really interested in the morphine that was being given to her. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, like, it's 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 interesting that like morphine is the, is the um the the weapon of choice, if you will, that he uses because he's uh, has a fascination with it. He watched his mother, who suffered with so much pain, take this miracle liquid that just stopped her uh, discomfort and made her yeah. at ease, and may maybe. He, in some twisted way, he saw it as like um, mercy mm. to you know give these people the same thing that gave his mother that yeah perhaps comfort. Perhaps he saw he thought like being elderly was a incurable disease or something, and he was putting people out of their misery, as you say. We just don't know. Do you know, what? I don't think I've ever heard anyone refer to like Harold Chipman in that manner. In that because we always just assume oh he's just a bit of a, a bit of a fuckwit, social outcast, and. A lot of people stem his whole like murder spree down to, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's the only level of control that he has in his world. But yeah. maybe, maybe there's some twisted like backwards mercy thing that he feels for these people, which is why he gives them that morphine. Like you said, maybe he sees it as a as a uh, an illness that he can't cure, so he, the only way he yeah. knows how to do it is to stop you suffering. It would make sense. Mm. we've cracked it this is it maybe we just don't know Alan Macy confronted Harold and was put at ease when Harold gave him permission to look through all of his books and explained everything to him however Angela Woodruff wouldn't let this lie with the forged will being a huge factor 
Because if your parents died and they left everything to some random bloke, you'd be a bit suspicious as well, I guess. Yeah, that's so what I mean. So in pretty rare... Yeah, it's really... Don't If you're going to kill someone, don't put yourself in their will. It just it makes you suspect number one. Mm. So in pretty rare circumstances, her body was exhumed, which means to be dug up again, and a post-mortem was carried out. Shipman's house was also raided and searched, and he just seemed pretty unimpressed by the intrusion. They found an old typewriter, which was the same that had been used to forge the will. They found jewellery and medical records, and also found he was a bit of a slob and his house was an absolute state. When the post-mortem result came back, it was found that morphine was the cause of death, and that she would have died three hours after the lethal dose. Shipman tried to argue that Catherine was a junkie and had done it to herself, but this didn't hold up. Uh. Investigators realised that they'd just blown a lid on a huge case and began further investigations. How arrogant of him to turn around and go, yeah, she did it. Yeah, yeah. It's that survival instinct, isn't it? Just lie straight away. Because dead, dead people can't defend themselves. Yeah, and obviously he's a doctor, so you'd, you'd argue that his word would be more trusted. Mm, trust me, I'm a doctor. Yeah. Shipman had encouraged his fa- victims' families to get them cremated, as then they couldn't get tissue samples, but some didn't. All those who had been cremated were investigated on the basis of their previous medical records compared to the reported cause of death, and then Shipman's presence at their death. He was very unwilling to cooperate with police, and all medical records were, that were on the computer he denied ever doing because he didn't know how computers worked. Which, to be fair, an old man in the 70s, like I get, you probably yeah. didn't know. Yeah. How, what, I don't get this PowerPoint. What? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know this new fandangled machine. Yeah. <laughs> there were a few stages to his trial, the first being about victims such as Catherine Grundy and other exhumed bodies. Angela Woodruff testified against him and the toxolo- tox- toxicology reports really weren't in his favour. The second part was about the cremated bodies and his presence at their deaths and how the cause of death did not match the medical records stored on the computer. And after this, his fellow students from medical school were called to give character statements about Harold. On one occasion, when he had taken the life of Lizzie Adams, he was caught at the scene looking at her jewellery whilst her body lay in the next room. William Catlow felt her body and could feel a pulse and she was still warm and said, come and help revive her. Harold said that he was feeling his own pulse and that he'd called an ambulance, but he didn't. And this was a running thing. He pretended to ring ambulances. Ah... And he would never attempt to revive a patient. So if ever he was caught at the scene, and there's so many examples of this, if ever he was caught at the scene, he'd be like, yep, I've rang an ambulance. But he never does. Because he knows that if he rings an ambulance, they could probably help. Yeah. And he doesn't want questions being asked. Which is horrible. Yeah, that's brutal. That's, but th- th- that's cold and that's calculated, that, isn't it? Yeah, and obviously in this episode I haven't gone into details about all of the victims because there's so many of them. But if you do want to look, there's so many accounts of people finding him at the scene of the crime, of like their grandmother, for example, being perfectly healthy, just him going for a checkup, and then a few hours later, they're dead. Jesus. Yeah, like like you said, there's over 250 known cases of his. Uh, I, I don't know what the exact number is. I think... They suspect it's around 250, but some people argue it's in the thousands. Because how, how would you ever tell? Because like, a do- once a doctor starts fucking about with the paperwork, because that's the... Pa- like, when someone murders someone, 
or like you know it, it, someone's injured or whatever you go to the doctor who then writes a report that says what happened to that person and every single thing that is administered taken out or given to that person is written down when that doctor then starts tampering with that stuff who do you go to then because that's the only evidence that tells you how things were done so yeah it could be like hundreds more it really could be it's impossible to tell which is probably why he's like deemed the most prolific serial killer but then record this is the thing with serial killers isn't it records can be really hazy when they're in the hundreds because there's just no documentation whereas when you look at like the fred wests of the world you knew how many you killed because the bodies were under his bloody house oh well quickly and a quick aside on the fred west case if anyone's aware oh, yeah. of it uh another cafe in the uk relatively near to the fred west's area has been uh, is being dug up where they uh, suspect more victims of Fred and Rose West were buried. Yeah, um, and they're going to question Rose about it, aren't they? I, she's dead, isn't she? Is Rose West dead? I don't think is she. We should know this, James. We've done an episode on them. Oh, they all blends into one. I'm googling right now. Uh, yeah, Rose West. But for the most part, um, no, she's alive. Oh, she's still alive. Fantastic. Go have a chat with Rose. Um, and whilst they're doing that, make sure you go back and listen to our episode on Fred and Rose West. Yeah, really gruesome episode. That That's like, if you're into the serial killers where we get into the nitty gritty about how they kill people and it's just horrific, that's one of them. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, they're going to question Rose because they believe that the murders that of the bodies that are under the cafe had nothing to do with her. It would have been him before he met her. Oh, yeah, because we know he killed a couple of people before he met Rose. Yeah, and like to bury them in fields. Yeah. Really fucked up people. Very. How, how do you become this? Anyway. Shipman seemed to take pleasure in ringing the family of his victims and being very vague about what happened. He would rarely explain that they had died and he wanted the family to guess what had happened. Oh. Which is just sick mind games. Like, you know that someone's mum had died and you ring them and you don't tell them that their mum had died but, like, something's awful has happened and you just pr- press them for them to say it. Mm. Horrible. Which, why, if ever you got bad news for someone, just say it. Just rip off the, the plasma and say it. No, I agree, yeah, just tell me. Don't stop fanning around with the information, just say it. No, because it's still going to hurt either way, so you may as well just get it out. Shipman never admitted to his crimes and even denied carrying morphine with him to his victims, though this was heavily disputed because families had seen him carrying the drug and he himself had previously admitted the fact that he carried morphine around with him. Mm. He was found guilty of only 15 counts of murder, because that's all they could really prove, and one count of forgery. And for the murder, he was given 15 life sentences, so one per murder, and then four years for the forgery, which don't really make a difference. Mm. Um, But as we know, the numbers are probably in the hundreds at the very least. And he was sentenced to life with absolutely no chance of parole. Damn. In a strange turn of events, during his stint in prison, he actually saved his cellmate's life. Shipman's victims were elderly women, generally, and so when his middle-aged cellmate needed reviving one night, he did. And this was probably the only good thing Shipman ever did as a doctor. And this cellmate, there's an interview with him, and he said he tried to kill himself when he knew that Shipman was going to be his cellmate because he didn't want to be in a cell with this man that had killed X amount of people. He was terrified of him. But then they became good friends. Yeah, the irony that, that he saved him instead. 
Yeah, saved his life. Because obviously if you're... This bloke's just a middle-aged bloke. He he doesn't care. Shipman doesn't care. He likes to kill middle-aged women. I think there's a couple of men, but middle-aged uh, elderly women. Yeah. Everyone else is fine. So I suppose if you were like a child and you went to his practice, you probably would have got fairly good treatment. Might have even got a lollipop. Maybe. That's what we all want when we go to the doctor, laced, isn't it? Laced with morphine. Or the, or the hairdressers. <laughs> a lot. Or that's, yeah, a, like that. that's a good lollipop. <laughs> yeah. mm, how bizarre. Yeah, it goes oh. in, in, in prison. It's like, listen, dude, I'm not interested in you. I like old ladies. Okay. As you do. Yeah. Bloody perv. On January 13th, 2004, Harold Shipman took his own life by hanging himself in his cell. Uh, and his victims' families see this as a betrayal as he got out of spending the rest of his life in prison. Yeah. And he also made sure his wife and children were well looked after. And what's more, no one knows why the fuck he did any of this. And now with his death, no one will ever really know. Was he born evil or was his childhood to blame? It's the it's the age old question, but what we do know is we can be sure of seeing his mother die definitely sparked something within him because that's the moment he was like, I want to be a doctor. Yeah, yeah, it's so bad. That's the hardest part when uh, we've covered a couple of like, serial killers and whatnot who end up taking their life. Uh, Fred West, as we mentioned earlier, he's another person who yeah. hung himself before uh, he could even go to trial. And you get all these victims mm-hmm. and their families just have no answers at all. Like, yeah. and we love to know why. That's why, like, you know, our most listened to episodes are when we talk about these dickheads in history. People want to know why people do this weird shit. Uh, and we'll never know. All we can do is speculate. Like, you know, did he? And then you get people like the Moors murderers, who I'm sure we'll do an episode on eventually, that they didn't. They they just they stayed alive and they just refused to talk. Oh god, yeah. Ian Brady was just like, Oh yeah, I, I know where the body of a child is and they go, Okay, cool, 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 where is it? He was like, No, 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 I have to come with you just so you can get a day out mm. and then he'd go, Nah, I've got It's 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 a power trip, isn't it? Because that's the last bit of power they have. Yeah. Yeah, and I, the thing with um Harold killing himself why he'd do that uh, I don't know maybe like it, there's no chance now of him ever regaining that sort of power that he needs like he's he's just a failure and he just can't oh yeah he it. royally fucked it yeah he can't ha- be in a failure but even during the trial and when all these allegations started coming out against him because he was so loved in his community he was really heavily defended oh really yeah people really were like no he's, he wouldn't do this he's a really nice guy so it must have been quite shocking for the relatively small town of Hyde to be like, oh, our beloved practitioner had just been murdering people. And I imagine people didn't trust doctors for a very long time after that. No, no, yeah. <laughs> it's funny because obviously we have a but free this- healthcare and you'd think you'd go to doctors every day because it doesn't cost me nothing. I'll go every day and go, oh, Mia, I've got a bit of a headache today. Just have some paracetamol. Thank you, doctor. Mm. Money, money well spent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's wasting the taxpayers' money. But um, there's other stories like this of uh, doctors and nurses and, and stuff taking lives of their patients. I know there's a nurse somewhere, don't know the name, don't know where, but she was a... Is paediatric the one that works children. with children? Yeah, yeah would, would take the life of the she kids. She was nicknamed the Angel of Death. Hmm, horrific. Because you they're in such a position of power, because generally you see doctors and... Or nurses and all these people when you are in a vulnerable state and you just need someone to help you. Mm. 
it it, it goes back to that um uh that philosophical um oh christ what's the word i'm looking for test that they done uh they were trying to remember when they were trying to figure out why people in uh, nazi germany did the things that they did and it was because the yeah. people in authority you put a white lab coat on them or you put a uniform on them you're more likely to listen to that person now and yeah, it's the one sure. where you know um that someone has to answer a question and if they get it wrong you have to shock them and you mm. have to the the level of the shock has to go up continually and to like this lethal range where they're like oh if you shock someone like this too many times it could like really cause them long-term damage and every time they get it wrong the person in the lab coat's like okay if you could just turn it up again please and then they just do it and then it gets to the point where it's in like yeah. the lethal range and they're like okay can you please just turn up the um the voltage again and they're like um okay and they do it because a person of authority's told them and they just do it mm. uh, yeah it is fascinating isn't it how one item of clothing can stand you out the, uh, this is not even remotely close to that but some guy at a supermarket put on a high vis and started like frisking people before they went in and everyone just what? let him he was like obviously not like frisking but like you know when you go to a football or something and you like you hold your arms out and they just pat yeah. you down he just did this and people just let him and there's other stories like people like dressing up as bod um doormen at nightclubs and people just come and hand them id it, it's it's really fascinating mm. And I think that some people have been doing it with COVID times as well. They've put on a high vis and got like a fake temperature thing and just going around taking people's temperature for no reason. Oh yeah, I mean there was um, there was what was it there was that one guy that went viral online. He put a uh, I think it might have been a high vis. He's got carrying a bag or something. He walks straight into a McDonald's and he's like, oh yeah, hi, I'm here to check your ice cream machine. And they're like, okay. And, mm. and then he just starts grab. He yeah. starts pouring himself an ice cream and then like fucks off. Yeah. You, the amount of trust you put in people in uniform is crazy. Yeah. So you can really see why this doctor was was trusted. But then it, it's it's catch twenty two, isn't it? Because you don't want to go to the doctor and you be like completely suspicious of them. You want to believe them. Yeah, it's the ultimate trust, isn't it? Mm. You know, I'm putting my but health. Touch wood, I haven't had to been to the doctor in ages. Oh, your health is the most important thing. Yeah, to you. that's what I'm saying. It's, like, it's the ultimate trust. Like, I'm putting my health and my being in your hands like i'm i'm coming to yeah. you to help me because i think there is something wrong with my health that could be detrimental to my life and i need you to help me get better that's the ultimate level of trust yeah and when a doctor breaks that i imagine that could be quite scary for a lot of people yeah for sure especially elderly people who generally go and see the doctor a fair bit which is like a gripe i have with my doctors but not really a gripe because everyone deserves to go to the doctors no matter how old you are but in my area i think there's four or five elderly homes for one small practice and you can't get an appointment it's impossible yeah and i'm i'm i don't know if this is even people will disagree with me but i'm an advocate for having certain doctors for like under like 40s okay just because the elderly people are there on the phone at eight AM clogging up those lines, you can't get an appointment for oh, loving the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's, it's it like obviously they're more than welcome to go get it. Their issues are probably more pressing than mine, but every, I, I don't know. It's muddy water, but yeah. And obviously you don't then want to go to 
the hospital at A&E and just waste their time. Which, again, if you're going to A&E for no reason, you are a prick. Stop it. You're just wasting everyone's time and the long queues are because yeah. of you. Yeah. Well... I I was at the hospital. I thought I had appendicitis. Didn't. I was one of those pricks. But it's one of those things you have to be uh, careful of. And there was a bloke there, and I was just watching him. And he was getting his X-rays back, and the doctor went, "No, no, you haven't broken your leg." This dude is walking around on both legs. <laughs> I was like, "If you broke your leg, you yeah. would know." <laughs> I was like, "What a waste However, of time." On that I once broke my wrist and didn't know until I went to the hospital and had an X-ray, and they said, "You've broken your wrist." I had no idea. Bloody yeah. hell! <laughs> Luckily, my didn't like swell Luckily, anything. No, so my mum is actually a nurse. So one thing we will end this show with, because obviously not all doctors and nurses are like this. Thank you very much for your kind service. No, this service. is like a one in a million. Yeah, my my mum. We love the doctors. We love NHS. My mum is a nurse and has been for as pretty much as long as I've known her. Right, um, and uh, I was I fell off my bike once and I. Uh, I landed on my wrist in a very dodgy way. I stayed out the rest of the day. I rode my bike home, and I just said to my mum, "I said, uh, like, mum, I fell off my bike today. Like, I really hit my wrist." Um, and she was like, "Are you okay?" I was like, well, "I mean, it aches a little bit, but I mean, I think it's fine." And it just so happened that she knew of like someone who'd broken their arm and not noticed. Um, maybe they just got a very high pain threshold, and they just really hadn't noticed it at all. And it turns out they'd actually shattered it. So. She took me to the hospital just to double check, and yeah, it turns out I'd broken my wrist, and I just didn't know. That's crazy. That's quite impressive, though. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And then I went to do it a few more times. <laughs> what break your wrist? I've broke both of them quite a few times. Fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> you need to calm down. I've only ever dislocated my elbow. That's the only thing I've ever done. I've broken a few bones, including most of my fingers. Oh, is it? I think your toes, you break them so often, but your body's just kind of used to it now. It's the little ones. That you don't feel it. Yeah, it's the little toes that break quite regularly because there's only wee little bones. But, um, yeah. Yeah, no, in terms of like people of care taking advantage, you see quite a few times on the news videos of care home assistants uh, being absolutely uh, yeah. horrendous to their residents. Um, yeah, only, there was a big pa- uh, panorama thing about that. Only yesterday I was told a story um, about a nurse who was doing a call to one of their patients to do like a little checkup. Now, um, mm. when they got there, the patient that they're visiting has two uh, daycare assistants. They come in the morning and they come in the evening. Now, this house was an absolute shithole. This patient was in, uh, she's 100 years old. She's cognitively aware. She's totally with it. But she was, like, hanging off her bed. The house was a shithole. Uh, like, the her some of her false teeth were just, like, in the kitchen on the side, just covered in shit and awful stuff. Right. And this is because this old lady, she can't... Like, she has two carers to help her maintain this house, like, and look after her and make sure that the home she's living in is nice. And they've been neglecting her. They've not been doing it. Um and this 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 woman this nurse who came to visit her has now since reported it but um it it she she was almost left scarred by it in a way she was really upset like how can cuz she'd spoke to that one the 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 patient and was like are you okay like is everything all right she went, yeah i'm fine love she's like she's so nice and so aware of it but there's nothing she can do yeah and these carers have just not been doing anything and it's so annoying that people do that yeah, taking advantage of the vulnerable. If you take advantage of vulnerable people, you're just a horrible, horrible person. Yeah. If you want to be a, if you want to be a dickhead and assert yourself over someone, like I know the old saying, "Do it someone your own size." Hmm. Hmm. 
but just just don't be a knob. Just don't just be a nice person. I don't understand why these. I suppose these people go for these jobs because they know they can get away with it. There was a panorama thing a few years back where someone went undercover, and the way they'd like manhandle the elderly people at their care homes, and I think it was a disabled care home, and just like throw them around, like lock them in rooms, refuse them things. It was a horrible, horrible way of treating someone. Yeah, it's not nice. Look after the just, elderly man. They can't help themselves. Yeah, it's oh, don't. There are some vile people out there. Hopefully, none as vile as Harold Shipman, who decided to kill hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> but there, yeah, there we have it. Probably the most. I don't want to call him boring because obviously the victims' families were like my parents dying wasn't boring. It's not boring, but in terms of what's the most word I'm pathetic. looking for? Grotesqueness. Yeah, it was just. Everything was very calculated, but he was also a fucking idiot. So that's something that we've sort of uh, discovered, really, when we talk about a lot of these killers, that they are just sort of pathetic people. They're losers, aren't they? They're society's losers yeah. that try and take something back for themselves. And you're like, oh, grow up, give over. Like, oh, the world is yeah. against me. It's like, no, it's not. You're just a knob. You can't deal with it. Mm. Yeah. Brill. Yeah, grow up. Don't don't be a serial killer. There's just no point. You'll get caught eventually. Don't be a serial killer, and more importantly, don't be a doctor serial killer. If you work in the medical industry and you're thinking about killing, yeah, be a nice person. <laughs> don't do it. Um, yeah. Uh, and so to to caveat that to all of the medical uh, staff in our country, in all around the world, thank you very much for everything you've done. Uh, especially recently yeah the last year must have been hell it must have been hell i recently i got my covid jab yesterday and every single person there was the nicest person they've been working their socks off and half of them are volunteers like for st john's ambulance so thank you very much to everyone who's been helping out um keeping Mm -hmm. the place running whilst we've been sat at home thank you very much um, yeah. Shout out to my mum as well, just because you know it's nice and she's a medical professional. So yeah, um, Brill. Well, there you are, everyone. There's Harold Shipman, the most pathetic serial killer I think we've ever covered, mm-hmm. uh, but also the most prolific. Um, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Brilliant. Well, next week we are going to be talking about. Uh, it's not going to get any nicer, as you know. We generally do too good, too bad, and um, it's my episode coming up. So. As James mentioned last week, when I find bad people, I find the worst bad people. Uh, but th- yeah, the this is actually a listener request all the way from Down Under, the land of Oz this was requested to us. Um, we're talking about a man called Martin Bryant, who, uh, because of him, Australia has the gun laws it has now, is all I'm going to say. That'll be interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, look forward to that next week. It's going to be brutal, as it generally is when I bring these episodes to us. <laughs> Getting a <laughs> reputation now. <laughs> um, yeah, join us next week where we talk about Martin Bryant. I mentioned at the beginning, but if you missed it for God knows what reason, uh, make sure you follow us on all the socials. Um, like, review us, um, follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all the, all that jazz um and if you'd like to donate to the show you can do so follow us on www.ko-fi.com forward slash that's what people do and you can have a one-time donation to the show and that's about it i think anything else james uh no i'm i'm done excellent 
Well, in that case, we'll see you next week when we talk about Martin Bryant. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Ciao. Thank you.